This is chapter 151 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. This week, we get schooled by co-writing duo Ali Frank and Asha Yeomans. Like a lot of things in 2020, the school year was turned upside down by the coronavirus pandemic. And right about now, as the remote school year comes to an end, I know that there are a lot of parents out there who have their fingers, maybe their toes crossed, that kids will be back in school in September and in the hands of teachers. Authors Ali Frank and Asha Yeomans are hoping for that, too. Between the two of them, they have more than 40 years of education experience, and their debut novel is a hilarious and diverse take on the world of private school admissions. It's also this week's summer read pick. I chatted with the duo over Skype and started by asking Asha what Tiny Imperfections is all about. Tiny Imperfections is a multi-generational story of three Black women living, working, and learning in San Francisco at a fictional uh, private school called Fairchild Country Day. And it examines single parenting, um, race, motherhood, privilege, and... um, all of those intersections of culture, um, wealth, uh, that can happen and make you laugh. Um, We like to examine some of the tough conversations that we have in our lives and difficult moments in our lives with humor. And so we hope we we put quite a bit of that into this book too. Yeah, our hope was to be able to add some levity to the conversation about um, parenting, about race, about privilege, and just offer a different lens into that experience when they all come together within a school day and the boundaries of school walls, because funny stuff happens with kids that we can laugh at when it comes to children and it comes to education that's a little more difficult to laugh at when you're adults and you're out in the grown world. And we've spent, between the both of us, we have 40 years in education. So we've got funny stories about kids and parents. Like, we can't avoid it. It's what we know. Well, I read somewhere that you guys always had a feeling that your real-life experiences as educators would end up in a book. So how many did end up in this particular book? (laughs) (laughs) Not all of them, for sure. Yeah. We got loads more. (laughs) Ali and I spent a lot of years working together, but we both have had careers um, before we met. So we've taken so many different vignettes, little stories, jokes, things that maybe you shouldn't laugh at, and mashed them up. We didn't Mm want to write about anybody that would say, hey, that's me. But we do give the spirit of our um, experience in schools in tiny imperfections, but the stories run deep. Yeah. (laughs) And because, because things were a mashup though, and because we did work together in a school and because we have very similar lenses on education and kids and humor, when we were working together, like if I was working on something, I could not figure out how to say it, what the real storyline was. I could just write down a name of a kid or a parent that we both knew and I knew that would spark Asha's mind and so for co-authors which it's not easy to write a book together but we had a shorthand that got things down on paper I think fairly quickly because I didn't 
have to explain and writing what I was trying to say, or Asha didn't have to talk me through it. We could have just like one word and then I, off to the races. It sounds like the, the each of you individually had more than enough material to write your own mm-hmm. books. What made you want to write it together? And how did you come together collaboratively? Well, yeah. well for me, I, you know, I, I am a very social person. I think I've always wanted to write. And I have written plenty of short stories all throughout my life. Avid reader. But that connection, that being with someone is something that I crave, I think, even more than storytelling. And so to blend the two and be able to do it with Allie was the best of both worlds for me. It's a li- it can be lonely for some people to, to write. Some people, it suits them perfectly. Um, they enjoy their, their own company. Um, but the connection we have and the connections we create help our stories and um, create a more in-depth and more rounded uh, story for us. Yeah, I think Asha um, was definitely more self-aware <laughs> up front than I was. I went through a series. I first wrote a middle grades novel on my own that um, was about, it had the first female president in it. And my literary agent, literally it was finished on election day, uh, 2016. And we were pushing it out to editors at publishing houses the day after. And clearly that was a no go. And for me, the experience of 20, you know, 20 years working in schools to then the solo endeavor of writing was so um, unnatural for me. And I knew I wanted to com- continue to write, but it was far too lonely. And um, I didn't want that experience again. So when this new idea came along, the funny thing is the reason I knew that Ashva was such a good writer she, I mean, she had no evidence that I was a good writer, but I actually had the evidence because I was the assistant head of school where we worked and all the report cards have very extensive narratives. And I read every single report card because I go apoplectic if something goes out from a teacher to parents um, and it's not well written. So I read every report card and Osh's were so phenomenally well written that I was like, this woman can really write. So I had that evidence from years of working with her. So then when it was time to like, okay, let's try to do a different book. And you know, what would we, what, what would I want to write? And I don't want to write it alone. And I started to have an idea and Ash and I used to joke about writing about admissions. I know she can write. I reached out and I was like, would you maybe want to do this weird thing that we have no experience with and who knows if we could do it and we took the leap so your school is set on the west coast but i think a lot of parents uh, on the east coast would probably identify with the whole private school admissions circus really is the only word i can think of and i think my favorite wacky parent anecdote in the book is the mom who has a breakdown because she thinks her son is normal (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was this book also an opportunity for you guys to say things you never could say in school? Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> sure. You know, Allie and I share, we share a common language, and that is teacher speak. There's a way to deliver news about a child that can allow a parent to hear it with their heart 
and allow you to offer it with hope. You know, you don't want to say your kid is this and that's it. They're going to be this forever. But even small things can be tough for some moms to hear, you know. Um, so th that is that is how you feel when you're working in a school like this. Are these people all trying to get away from a regular child? Because <laughs> yeah. I thought that's what we're doing here. Um, that That's one of my favorite anecdotes yeah. as well. <laughs> and that's one of the beauty and beauties and the difficulties of working um, in an elementary school. Fairchild is K to 12 and we wanted it to be the full range, but at the elementary school level, you are the first stop of informing teachers, or excuse me, informing parents that in fact this perfect being that they birthed into the world is not gonna ex be the one that escapes being human. And by human <laughs> means being normal and being fallible and making flawed. mistakes and flawed. Yeah. Like you're, the, you're, and particularly Asha taught pre-K, the four or five-year-olds, it's like, that is the first stop of the bearer of bad news. And so it was always fascinating the different ways that parents take on that ownership of like, yep, your kid is kind of like every other human in the world. Sorry to report. Um, <laughs> is there a little bit of both of you in your main character of Josie? Oh, I think so for <laughs> sure. Um, we recognize that even with all of the wacky parents that we, we may have uh, portrayed in our story, um, that we, we have a little wackiness in oh. us too. We want the very best for our children. Um, and we have to examine how we go about that. So Josie was that person. She's, she's looking at all these people that she doesn't think are like her, but when she puts that mirror up to herself, it is her maybe a slightly lower temperature of her, but it's the same thing. Um, yeah, I think that's so true. I always like to think that I was a different administrator than I was a parent, but because I have two kids that are still young, they're in third and sixth grade. And, um, you know, I don't always see, I see how other people are parent and what they're doing wrong. And I'm an expert because I work in a school, but I'm screwing my kids up too. I just don't call myself out on it. Uh, I have teacher friends who have said the, the teacher's kids are always the worst behaved kids because by the end of the day, you're just, you're done. <laughs> you don't want to deal with it anymore. I tell all my friends, I'm like, I parent like it's 1974. That's what happens in my house. Because I'm exhausted from working in a school with family and children like it's 2019, 2020. So, you know, you, you guys are one of the rare women, women writing duos, author duos that, that I've had the chance to interview. You're also one of the rare black and white duos. Tell us what race plays in the book. Um, for me, uh, race is so much about perspective. It's a way that I uh, examine the world. I try to step in another person's shoes, look back, look at my own reflection. And having two people from two different backgrounds really gives you a chance to examine our characters from many different perspectives to make sure that we're being honest with, with who they are, to make sure that we're giving them a relatable and real life, and being of two different backgrounds helps us to do that. 
And along the way, we certainly learned something from each other in that process. And it was interesting for us to write it. It was very intentional. You know, in literature right now, um, this push for own voice. So you have to be the culture to write the voice. And that then puts culture or race or religion as the primary thing that anyone is. And for some people that very well may be true. They identify first and foremost that way. For other people, it might be different. And so Asha and I, because we both have experience in schools as teachers, as parents, we wanted to write our voice that collectively we can create some amazingly strong, independent, whole people um, for which they lead with their being and their race is just part of that being. So we really wanted to turn own voice into our voice. And that was our, that was our, I think one of our biggest hopes. Josie has a really strong uh, female family unit. Is that something also that you guys drew on your backgrounds to present or that's how her character developed? I definitely drew on my background um, for Josie. I have had the, I mean, just so lucky to have been reared by women who were directly in line, part of my ancestry, and who were not, but were still family. Um, I think these days we appreciate the fact that you can choose your family. And honestly, I believe that African-American people have been doing that for quite some time. Um, if your family members were sold away, you created a new family in our um, you know, beginning in this country. So that's something that's just part of the African-American culture. It isn't a strange thing to call an aunt who is really a neighbor your aunt <laughs> um, or to notice that there are a couple of new kids in the house that are suddenly now living there because they don't have any place else to go. And those are firsthand experiences that I've had in my life. Um, creating Aunt Viv. <laughs> I love Aunt Viv. Oh, we man. love Aunt Viv. The thing Allie loves to say most is everybody needs an Aunt Viv. And though I've grown up in the Pacific Northwest, my roots are very deep in the South and um, in Oklahoma and Arkansas, Texas. And when my family migrated up to the Pacific Northwest, they brought all those things with them. I came along up in that and the lessons were laid out at the feet of the women in the family for me. Mm -hmm. Cooking, raising your family, being that good, strong person. Um, and I, I hope, and I do believe that it's evident in Aunt Viv. She's definitely an amalgamation of the women that I've loved most and learned most from in my life. Straight talking, which is something different than what teacher speak is, you know, mm -hmm. we have to practice this type of communication in our professional life and then come home might be a flip of that switch and everything is direct in your face. This is what you do. Uh, you really have to practice fitting into daily normal or dominant culture when you are an African-American person, especially raised by strong women. Mm -hmm. But we also have to give credit to our fathers mm -hmm. because they also raised, when you asked, you know, are you too Josie? Um, our fathers directly raised us to be strong, independent women who believed we could do anything. And because of that, at 
our late 40s, we thought, sure, let's try to write a book. I mean, who, you know, with, with zero evidence that we could. So we have to also give credit to our dads who um, allowed us the bandwidth and the support to also grow into the, the women we are now. At one point in the book, Josie remarks how the first day of school is one of those days that anything's possible. It's a day when everyone gets a fresh start. Do you think that's going to be even more true this September after everything parents, teachers, students have been through because of the coronavirus? I, I, I really think so. I think this is this September is going to be a time when parents out there are going to say, wow, I, I just didn't realize how much my teacher, my child's teacher, is helping to raise my child, too. Not just with giving um, the lessons or life lessons, but the time. Six hours a day, teachers are with kids. You give me anybody an extra six hours of time to spend with me, I don't want to hang out with them after a couple of days. That's too much. <laughs> so I think we will come back and appreciate teacher positions in our lives. Is it so important? Yeah, I would. I, it's funny. That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. If it's, um, you know, we're still sort of in this realm of coronavirus. What I will say is that in whatever form kids go back, I think the great lesson is that for the past like decade, 15 years, there's been a lot of education and talk in schools of like, oh my gosh, how do we raise resilient children? How do we raise resilient children? Can they have grit? Can they work hard? We're not sure this generation can or that generation can. And no amount of teaching has been able to show us in real time how resilient kids are are working to be right now, not perfectly. And as adults, we're not being perfect in our resilience in this moment. But I think that it coming back into a school community and recognizing how strong kids can be um, is going to be a pretty amazing new way to go forward in education that kids might or adults might look at children differently with um, strengths that they didn't see before that now they that they will. And I think that's a different kind of start. And as crazy as those kids can drive you, I'm sure you miss being with them those six hours every day, or at least most of them. Oh, for sure. I always, you know, people ask me, well, what do you do? You know, when I I was teaching every day, oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, wow. What's that like? Oh my gosh. I say those kids drive me crazy and I can't live without them. Yeah. You know, I I do. I still miss them every day. Yeah, Yeah, it's an emotional thing. I feel very deeply for the teachers that are, you know, as much as I feel deeply for the kids who have not had their normal end of the year, it's equally hard Mm -hmm. for teachers. You learn to live in a cadence of your life and your world that has more so probably than most careers has starts and peaks and middles and, um, true finishes mm-hmm. and conclusions and to not have that is really difficult for teachers and you know as they're letting them just back in their classroom to close down the year that they had to abruptly you know leave in February or March is um, 
heartbreaking. So mm-hmm. in I, that going back to the other question, Absolutely. I do believe in the fall, whatever that restart will be, will also be so beautiful for teachers as well, just to be back and try to get back that cadence. Mm-hmm. Going back to the book itself, what is it like for the two of you to share this experience of, of publishing your first adult novel together? In a pandemic? <laughs> In a pandemic. <laughs> you know, it's been great. You can, nobody wants to hear about my book anymore in my family. <laughs> or my family. Oh, yeah, Allie's family. They're so over her. You know, this is our second book. So they just are like, oh, mom, and they have to hear the word book again. You know, <laughs> so to share a small excitement over a book reviewer posting a picture of our book on a, on a, on a social media, Allie will call me and say, gosh, did you see that one? Oh, yeah, I love this one. Because we take such great joy in every single review, every single note we get from a reader. When we were going through the cover art, we were beside ourselves with excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, no one's as excited as we are. It's yeah. great to share that with somebody. And that's when we think about, oh my gosh, for people who write alone, um, to not have that person to share that journey with, just given our personalities, we can't imagine it. And even on our pub day on May 5th, you know, when there was a lot of excitement, a lot going on and traction, we had actually quarantined away from each other for two months because we knew we wanted to be together. And we started the day and we just went down to Lake Washington and we sat on a bench opposite each other. And we just talked about our journey because it's amazing to have the book out there and so beautiful and hearing everyone's reaction. But it really was about our journey to getting it out there that was incredible and so much fun um, and full of highs and full of lows. But, um, you know, we kind of feel feel a little bit like the cliche. It's the journey, not the destination. <laughs> and I'm like, That's oh. teacher speak. Yeah. So just write that one down. Definitely no do doubt. That. Yeah. I'm like, how many yoga instructors have I wanted to slap when they say that? But yet, you know, that's what we were like waxing over when we were sitting out there. So I'm going to guess then there were no fights over whose name was going to come first. We did. We do everything alphabetical. Yeah. I, I had a feeling being teachers that that's what was behind that. <laughs> we go to the rules first. If we can't solve it by the rules, we'll talk it out. If that doesn't work, you go to rock, paper, scissor. Yeah. But, but you know, that question, though, <laughs> does give up, a, you know, a lend to people do ask us, like, how do you work together? Or how does it happen? And we have that whole, you know, how we do the actual writing together. But we also have to own up that we landed on just sheer dumb luck. It just turned out that Asha's strengths are my weaknesses and my weaknesses are Asha's strengths. We did not know that going into it. We got lucky in that. So we joked that like between the two of us, we're one great writer. Don't know if on our own we could hold it, (laughs) but we have this like great yin and yang that certain things I have to hold on to Asha's coattails because I'm a disaster and other things, um, you know, Asha has to lean into to my direction or my strength. And we just got lucky that way. So lucky. Does that mean we might get another book from the two of you as one? 
Oh, for sure. We had some, we had to have something to do during lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. We're hard at work on book two. We have ideas for book three and four. Um, Same and, characters. Yeah. We're going to mix it up. I think we're going to mix it up a little bit. We might come back to some of these characters. What we really love is our, our sweet spot of, of, writing about strong independent women which we hope and feel that we are that we help inspire other girls and women and, and people to be um we love schools we love schools i got it i got that <laughs> yeah yeah and the stories are endless there yeah. so we're hopeful that we will get get a chance to come back at you again lisa and um the book's been optioned for film tv rights so everyone might get to see the board alone women on screen oh that would be cool i think that'd be a, f a fun story to see yeah. I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll watch it. We've been talking to Allie Frank, Astra Yeomans, about their new book, Tiny Imperfections. Thank you guys so much for doing a cross-country Skype call with me, which I know is a little bit early for you, but I appreciate uh, you spending the time with me. We had a great time. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. And that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next week, we feature a charming story about a stubborn old lady and her quest to save a colony of Antarctic penguins. Until then, keep cool and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. <laughs>